Full disclosure, I'm Robin Farzad. I didn't do it as a single person. I did it as just a huge community of people, whether it was people that were supporting us, whether it was people that were watching my kid, whether it was family members. My cousin lived with me for a little while to help me. My brother lived with me for a little while to help me. My mom recently built a tiny house in our backyard and lives with us to help us. Uh, My mother-in-law lives 45 minutes away and she helps us. So it was for sure a coming together of the community. A single young mother, family tragedy and the grit she flexed to build a juice chain that's now looking to go national. Do stay with us. This episode is made possible by Performance Food Service, a proud partner of Virginia restaurants and food service establishments, with more than 13,000 associates in 75 locations nationwide, online at pfgc.com. And by Evo Advisors, helping busy professionals who have more than a 401k plan to worry about. Evo Advisors, offering clients financial advice, fiduciaries for families at evoadvisors.com. Joining me in studio, laid back with her mind on her money and her money on her mind, is Erin Powell, founder and owner of Ginger Juice, RVA's cold-pressed juice upstart. Now three locations strong. How are you? Great, great. And I'm co-piloted today by the wonderful Kendra Bailey Morris, veteran food writer, author of the book, The Southern Slow Cooker. You've seen her byline on NPR, Better Homes various culinary publications. She's now a content marketer in food and drink. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. I should add this stat uh, for Aaron Powell and Ginger Juice. Uh, Aaron, you juiced 136,000 pounds of produce last year. So juicing 136,000 pounds, that's more than I think Jose Canseco ever did in a single season. (laughs) Six dump truck loads full of produce, if you will. That's crazy. 60 tons. Yeah. Yeah, it was a lot. Fresh to the bottle. Where do I even start with you? Because let me tell people where I first met Aaron is I frequent the Starbucks near the University of Richmond. Mm-hmm. And I remember there was a big buzz uh, circa 2015 that in the little alcove where there's like a vacuum repair shop and an <laughs> ATM. Uh, somebody was aspiring to open up a cold pressed juice place with uh-huh. a, a go-to-cotto. Uh-huh. And I went in there and I met you and you had the names of your various benefactors on the yeah. wall. And there was a Kickstarter campaign. Take me to the very genesis of this. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So you're right. We we started in a little hallway um, in a shopping center here in Richmond by the University of Richmond's campus. Um, but even before that, I actually was just juicing out of my home. Um, I started juicing for my son as a way to increase his fruit and vegetable intake. So, um, you know, that kind of started at home. I had a girlfriend that owned a cold-pressed juicing business in Seattle. And so I had helped fund her startup and kind of watched her progress. I was traveling a ton for my corporate job and seeing juice bars popping up all across the country and, you know, just really saw a market opportunity for it here in Richmond. And so our... um, We had a commercial kitchen um, on Patterson Avenue in the fan. It was a commercial kitchen that a lot of Richmond startups use. Um, I know you interviewed Liz with Daily Jars. Um, You know, we shared that kitchen space with them at one point. Oh, the Crumbine space? Yeah. And so um, we started there, and we were dropping juice off at various fitness locations. And our most popular fitness location drop-off was the Pure Bar Studio at River Road. So that's what led me to look for retail space in that area. Um, The delivery drop-off 
off commissary kitchen model was not profitable for us. So um, I had to make a choice, shut down the business or go retail um, or wholesale. That's a whole different road that we can go down at some point in the interview. But um, but anyway, yeah, that's kind of how it all started. Um, 500 square feet. And to your point, yes, we shared the space with another local food startup called Godacado. And we were offering quinoa bowls from Gotocado and cold-pressed juice from Ginger Juice. But I want to get at the very genesis. You were at yeah. Snagajob, a thriving yes. company. It could yes. be IPO destined. It's, yes. you know, in a, in a booming space. You were there as an executive for about a decade, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, when did you have that itch to kind of go off and do something that's decidedly unsecured, right? <laughs> right. Very insecure. Um, so I actually started our franchise sales division at Snagajob. So when I was hired, my boss at the time said, hey, we've got some relationships with national companies like Papa John's, Chick-fil-A, Dunkin' Donuts, but we can't sell HR technology services through our corporate contacts. Each of these locations that are independently owned and operated have to make their own decision about HR technology. So I bought a list of 8,000 Dunkin' Donut franchise owners and started smiling and dialing um, down that list. And um, over the course of the decade that I was there, I ended up building out that sales division. Um, And when I left, it was a $20 million revenue line for the company. So I knew that I wanted to start a franchisable business. Um, I didn't know what kind of business I wanted to start. I did not have a restaurant background. Um, I worked in a restaurant for about three weeks. I was terrible. I dropped all the plates on the floor (laughs) and decided to be a camp counselor instead. That was a summer job um, in college. So at any rate, like I mentioned, started juicing for my son. Um, and How old he, was he? He was about two and started to get picky um, and wouldn't eat his fruits and vegetables. And I had made his baby food and um, so just started juicing for him. And like I mentioned, when I was traveling, I would see juice companies popping up everywhere. And at the time, Richmond didn't have any. Um, so I saw that as a big market opportunity. Um, and yeah, I was working at Snagajob, kind of plugging along. Um, tragedy hit our family really hard in 2013. Um, my husband passed away suddenly. So I instantly became a single mom. And um, I was traveling on the road every week. Uh, took my son with me on the road, which was not easy. Um, went to Snagajob and said, you know, look, I've got to do something that's going to keep me in Richmond. And so they let me take step down from my executive position, took on a direct sales role, and I started Ginger Juice at the same time. So um, they were super supportive of that, um, you know, and really supportive of me kind of going on that journey. And um, so I did both um, until April of 2016 when I left um, Snag Job to pursue Ginger Juice full time. So for a year, you, you, double, mm-hmm. you double dipped. Mm-hmm. And that got, must that must have just been so stressful. Mm-hmm. And you got a, a, a lot of support from the community here in Richmond so as well. Can support. you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. Gosh, from the beginning, I mean, I think people were just so hungry, no pun intended, for, um, you know, products that they could get in other big metropolitan areas. You know, a lot of our initial clients were people that had been to New York, had been to Miami, had been to L.A., and, you know, had experienced um, cold-pressed juicing, and they had experienced the way that their bodies felt when they ingested something that had over two and a half pounds of produce in each bottle. It makes you feel good. Um, It really does, (laughs) yes, yes. And so I think, you know, we had that trend at our back, so it wasn't like we were starting 
following the trend, even though we were starting it in Richmond, um, you know, but we weren't starting it nationwide. So that really helped. Um, but everybody from the boutique fitness studios to small independent grocers like Elwood Thompson's um, to the local farmers markets. Um, our first farmers market was St. Stephen's. Um, we also exhibited at South of the James um, to community organizations like the JCC. Um, you know, really, when whenever anybody called me and said, hey, do you want to be part of our festival? Uh, my answer was always yes. Um, you know, and sometimes it would be successful and sometimes it would be pouring down rain and nobody would come. Um, you know, but that was really the way that we kind of got the word out. Um, and before we knew it, you know, we had schools that were interested in that were supporting us. We had real estate developers calling us. Um, you know, but yeah, I think people just really were craving healthy food options um, that they could get in other major metro areas that they couldn't get here. And, you know, Richmond is on the map for so many other types of foods. And, um, you know, it really is a big culinary scene that it was an honor really for me to be able to bring um, healthy food to this area. Aaron, talk to me, please, if you will, about the the difficulty of 2013 to 2015. I, you know, came here under uh, some circumstances of duress. We had a child mm -hmm. that needed help and mm -hmm. we came here for the community and to avail ourselves of, of in-laws and, mm -hmm. um, you know, various teachers and whatnot. And so I could rebuild my career identity. You did this under uh, what I am. I imagine must have been an enormous amount of stress, mm -hmm. right, to, to straddle the fence between two jobs, to have a young mm -hmm. child who was, what, two mm -hmm. at the time? Yeah. And then to be willing to go and catch that vine and go off into something entrepreneurial and, and, and really unknown. Yeah. Walk us through that. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. I mean, you know, whenever – I think whenever tragedy strikes, you know, you either go into – um, kind of doing an overcoming mode or you shut down and shutting down wasn't an option. So, um, you know, I just kind of went into, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this for my son. I'm going to do this for myself. I'm going to do this for the Richmond community. Um, and people came out I mean, daily, there were people that, um, you know, even if they didn't know my story, they were just coming out to support me. And I think that people more so knew the fact that I started the company. You know, my son is a ginger. He's a redhead. Um, so I started the company, you know, really in his honor and, you know, to do something for him and to do something that would help him um, continue to be healthy as he got older and learn healthy habits, um, you you know, I believe that when you're eating healthily, it not only helps your body, but it helps your mind and your spirit, too. And, um, you know, so many people face, whether it be um, health issues or whether it be mental health issues. And so that was something that was really important to me um, to be able to offer to the Richmond community. Um, but yeah, I mean, on a daily basis, it was, you know, people ask me like, oh, my gosh, how did you do this? And um I didn't do it as a single person. Um, you know, I did it as just a huge community of people, whether it was people that were supporting us, whether it was people that, you know, were watching my kid, whether it was family members. Um, you know, my cousin lived with me for a little while to help me. My brother lived with me for a little while to help me. My mom recently built a tiny house in our backyard and lives with us to mm. help us. Um, my mother-in-law lives 45 minutes away, and she helps us. So it was... 
um, for sure, a coming together of the community. Um, but no, there were crazy lows as well. I mean, the first day that I left Snagajob, you know, my first day solo at Ginger Juice, literally did not know what to do. So I went into my little space, 500 square foot closet, and I just started scrubbing. I was cleaning everything. And all yeah, of a sudden- Yeah, isn't there a LinkedIn section on share your panic attack or something, <laughs> right? right? Yes, there's got to be. This is mine. And, you know, all of a sudden I look out the window and it's daylight. So I had been scrubbing my place all night, you know, and it was morning. And I was like, well, I got that out of my system. That's probably not going to be productive to do every day. So. But it was really clean, <laughs> right. right? But it was really clean, yes. I mean, there were days. <laughs> you got to start somewhere. Yes. Gosh, what else did we do? We fell victim to one of those Dominion Virginia power scams, and we ended up paying some scammer $1,700. And yeah, I mean, there were just so many things. The refrigerator died. The... Um, you know, I had to fire a manager for shipping illegal drugs to my store. Like, I mean, yeah, the stories go on and on and on. Sounds like another the... season of Breaking Bad where we <laughs> can do a prequel. Erin, <laughs> tell me about – we always get into these these intimate questions. We did with um, Brittany Anderson live and people are like always like, oh, I'm not money. But you clearly come from a business background. And uh-huh. how do you even get into fundraising, discussing a business plan, sure. um persuading investors that I can offer you, what, a return above a certificate of deposit or what you're mm-hmm. getting on a treasury. How did you start that conversation? I remember you got a lot of press about uh, being open to you know making yourself vulnerable and using Kickstarter mm-hmm. back before a lot of people did that for business reasons. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the Kickstarter helped us buy our initial equipment. Um, which was great. And, you know, again, I viewed Kickstarter as not only a way to raise funds, but also a way to educate the community about what we were doing and, you know, kind of get their buy-in and get their support. Um, The other big resource that I utilized was a grant through the VSBFA. And so um, I took on debt investment to open the three stores that I have today. And so that investment um, was able to pay my investors back half of their investment through the grant. Um, and so Wait, that but time was, out. Your investors, your original investors, what are those, friends and family? The original investors for Kickstarter were friends and family. That was more of a donation. So mm-hmm. um, they donated the money. They got an item in return. Um, the second round of fundraising that I did was debt investment, um, no equity. Was How do you do that? Yeah. How do you go to people? They say, what, show me a PowerPoint deck? Like, really open that up for us. Sure, yeah. So – with these investors, you know, they were getting half of their investment back immediately. Um, they were both people that I met through friends and family. Um, we did a financial review and a couple of face-to-face meetings. Um, I didn't, you know, I have PowerPoint decks, but for them it was really, we believe in you. We believe in um, this product that you're making. We believe in what you're doing. Um, we've seen your financials. We know that we're going to get a return. And by the way, we're getting half of our return back immediately through through this grant. So it makes the risk a lot less on their part. Um, so yeah, so that was... But um, you decided no equity, no equity at the very outset. So you yep. were not going to dilute yourself. You were Correct. the captain of your own domain. You Correct. would take on debt, which has to be paid back as, appo- as opposed to selling, you know, floors of the house, if you will. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, it's especially with a brick and mortar retail business, it's pretty easy to say, 
here's how much I need for equipment. Here's how much I need for startup inventory. You know, by the time you do it three times, I've gotten pretty good at figuring out that exact amount and what it's going to be used for. And again, you know, with the with the background in business through Snagajob and having the desire to franchise this, um, it's all about creating systems. So, you know, that is I really wanted to keep that in mind when creating this business is how am I going to teach somebody else to do this? Mm -hmm. And how can I make sure that some of these fixed costs are um, things that are always going to be true for every brick and mortar location that's built out? I definitely have um, a tremendous amount of respect for you <laughs> doing I've, as someone you. who's worked for herself, yes. just myself. Um, I've worked as an independent professional and as writer and cookbook author and all these uh -huh. kind of things. And I'm personally so intimidated by the thought of 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 going after something in the way that you did. Oh yeah, it's terrifying. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And and in in this in the circumstances, mm -hmm. you know, um, not being favorable at the time, and right. then just going, hey, I'm just going to jump in. Yeah. You know, the deep end of this pool yeah. and hope for the best. Yes, here. I mean, I think it's really inspirational to a Thank lot of people you. because yes. I think there are a lot of folks out there. You know, even like myself, I'm making kind of a little bit of a shift in my career mm -hmm. um, later in life, so to speak, uh -huh. and it's um, intimidating and sure. it's scary, and yeah. you're kind of you know, questioning, what am I doing? You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> am I doing Absolutely. the right thing here? Yes. And then other days you feel like, God, I feel like, you know, life, life's good. This, this is, is right. And then other days, the right yeah, yeah. And then, yeah. you know, then you're back cleaning a corner uh -huh. somewhere, which I do yeah. as well. I just, yeah. you know, I can't write, I clean the house. So we have very clean spaces, yes. which is great. Yes. But yes. it's, it's just, um, I think it's great for a lot of other people to hear your story because it will inspire them, hopefully, to be doing Thank something you. great, especially women. Yeah, you know, women yes. business owners and yes. women business owners in uh, Richmond. Yes. Full disclosure: I'm Robin Farzad. You're listening to Kendra Bailey Morris, my co-host today, the veteran food writer. We are interviewing Aaron Powell, founder and owner of Ginger Juice, RVA's only cold press juice. Upstart, now three locations strong. She just opened her third on the south side, and she's discussing uh, franchising. Erin, uh, I would like to ask you about that leap of faith. I mean, you took the leap mm -hmm. of faith from, you know, um, overlapping with Snag a Job and the Ginger Juice alcove, the little janitor's closet, uh -huh. as I affectionately call it, <laughs> right. right? We came out of the closet. And I remember, actually, what's, what's adorable about this, uh, everybody talks about that Starbucks next door, is like you, you almost treated it like a, a conference room. Mm -hmm. You would have investors and other people yeah. would bump into Sean there yeah. and everybody else yeah. and then you would repair back to your alcove in the back <laughs> and run the business yeah. but when that other location was orphaned I remember it used to be Estilo and Tally's mm -hmm. meeting three and back mm -hmm. in, in a past life one of my favorite pizza places Boca Toscana mm -hmm. that's a huge leap huge leap how did you even ponder that? How yeah. did you say, my gosh, I could really fit into this? Yeah. I can grow from being a kind of a, a, an asterisk on this strip mall to one of the main anchors. Yeah, absolutely. So when we were back in the 500 square foot space, um, we were the first company in Richmond and still the only company to have a certified cold press juicing machine. Um, and so when I first started, I had a little small at-home one that was a $2,500 machine um, called a Norwalk, and it was the size of a microwave. Um, so that was from August, excuse me, October until about April of um, 2016. And so in April of 2016, our production got to such a level that I had to purchase this larger um, cold press juicing machine. So, so hold up. October of 2015 to April 2016, yeah. it's like an embarrassment of not riches, but 
you're outgrowing your initial capacity. Totally. Yes, yes. So I purchased this um, $25,000 cold press juicing machine, and it weighed 800 pounds, and I could not put it in the 500-square-foot Village Shopping Center space. So we actually rented a small space up the street. Um, and so when the space became available at the front of the Village Shopping Center, I was able to combine the production space as well as the retail space. Um, at that point, Gotokato was building out their um, restaurant that they currently have on Main Street. So they pulled out of our space and we started serving some food. So we started serving smoothies, acai bowls, avocado toast. Um, we actually hired on a chef and came up with this like beautiful, robust food menu. Um, the problem was he was the only person that could make all of those beautiful, robust food items. Um, and I um, hired one of the best consultants that I've hired to date. Her name is Rebecca Thomas. And she came in and said, oh, we know her. Doesn't um, she go by the Silver Fox? Yes, she does. She's oh, fantastic. Um, so Rebecca, who I love dearly, came into my space, you know, walking down the hall of the Village Shopping Center. She is just an incredible force of mm. a woman, human. She's amazing. Um, but she opens the door to my space. And she before she even shakes my hand, she's shaking her head now. She's like, nope, you got this wrong. You got this all wrong. I'm like, OK, great. And then all of a sudden she sees you know, just dozens of people walking into my 500-square-foot space that can't even fit in the door. And her eyes get really big, and she's like, okay, Erin, I'm going to help you with this. And I'm like, awesome. So glad. Why was she compelled um, to help you to begin with? Was this a mentorly thing? It was, yeah. Was she retained as a consultant? She How was. did it work? Yep, she was. So um, I met her through a couple of other consultants that I had worked with in town, um, marketing consultants. And, you know, Rebecca's approach to marketing is that you really market yourself by operations. So, um, you know, I was marketing via Instagram and, you know, I have a sales and marketing background. So getting the word out wasn't the problem. Um, it was the customer's experience once they walked through the door that was the problem that I had. Um, so she said, look, your menu's too big for your space. We're going to do a cross-section of your menu. We're going to take all of your items. We're going to look at how easy or difficult they are to make, how much they're costing you, and what their profitability is. And every item that does not fit into the top 30% of your menu is getting cut. And I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, you're just going to stop making it. I'm like, Okay. So we did that analysis and I went in, I had a chalkboard menu at the time and I went in with a paint roller and just painted over it. And my staff was like, what are you doing? I'm like, we're not making any of this anymore. They're like, okay, what are we going to tell our customers? I'm like, we're going to recommend something else to them. It's like when a and great editor tells me to chop 700 yes, words off my 1500 yes, word manifesto. Yes, you know how I it feels, do. Kendra. <laughs> I do it and I weep uncontrollably. Right. Yes, but yeah. Yes. Well, I mean, when it comes to the food, I'm, I'm curious what, and I'm to back it up just a little bit. What what made you go, okay, so we're doing the juicing, this is working, yep. let's add some food, you yep. know. Um, what made you decide to bring food into the picture? Yeah. So I think we had to. I mean, okay. you know, there's a certain segment of the population that prefers the liquid diet, um, especially yeah. women. Um, you know, most women don't sit down and eat three big meals a day. Right. You know, we might wake up, have a cup of coffee, then to, you know, get the kids out, like do everything for everybody else, because that's what we always do as women. And then, you you know, at about 10 a.m., we might have a yogurt, and then at about you know noon, we might have a granola bar. So and you need some sustenance. Yes, right? exactly. And so it just made sense, um, mm -hmm. you know, and our customers were asking for it. Um, so we ended up keeping the top 30 percent of our menu, and they were items that were really good. Yeah. And so what we did it's is very curated. Is got, it's a great yes, menu. Yes, we got very good at making those items. And the other thing that I learned is that you know I. 
I'm not a full-size restaurant. I don't need the scale to have a chef or, you know, somebody with this crazy culinary talent. These were recipes, and again, going back to creating systems, were things that, you know, I could systematize um, and, you know, really make it work from a profitability standpoint, from the ease of use for my employees making all of these items, um, and then also for the consistency with the customer. So, um, you know, that is super important in the food business is making sure that people experience the same thing every time they come in. Aaron Powell, when you were ramping up, I'm curious to know, what was the metric in your head that mm-hmm. you close your eyes at night and go to bed? Was it profitability? Was it a cash flow metric? Were you looking for a certain target so you could hire a manager and move on to the next one. Mm-hmm. I mean, any different business owner that you talk to has a different idea in there. It's like, oh, I'm not yeah. looking to harvest profit from this for another six years. Or right. some people are building it out for acquisition. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it's top line. So, Revenue. Yep. Exactly. So, you know, that's the important metric. Um, sales solve all problems in business. So if I can move the needle on the top line, um, you know, the rest of it I can figure out. But here's out. my question. This seems like it's a la- hugely labor and capital intensive stuff to mm-hmm. extract the cold pressed juice from this. Mm-hmm. I've seen you yourself work on Sundays. I've mm-hmm. seen you work late into the afternoons. The produce variability. I mean, they're always uh, uh, seasonal. I don't know shocks with mm-hmm. citrus fruit and if there's a cold season or a, yeah. a warm snap or something like that, uh, quite a bit of volatility embedded into this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have worked really, really hard with our local vendors um, to keep our prices stable and to kind of amortize that throughout the year um, so that we're not seeing big spikes in pricing. Um, you know, of course, moving from one store to three has given me a little more leverage um, when it comes to um, kind of normalizing some of the pricing as well. So, you know, that certainly has helped. And I want to get you into the, some, the, the ways that, that food service and retail have really evolved in the past three, four years, mm-hmm. especially with Amazon, at times the biggest company in the country, uh, acquiring Whole Foods and, mm-hmm. and causing like this fear and loathing and delivery and whatnot. But start with subscriptions. Yeah. I mean, is it is it gravy for you? Is it is it icing? Is it perfect? The, the platonic ideal of a transaction when you have a person who is – uh, consistently coming to you, you you dock their credit card monthly. Mm-hmm. They have a predictable order. You can really uh, uh, bank on it and put it in a spreadsheet. Yep. Yeah. So the amount of people that subscribe to our juice cleanses um, is not as high as the people that are just plain return customers. So what I found by varying the menu is that you have someone who may be a cleanse customer, then they may become a subscription customer, but they also come in and they might have gotten one of our soups out of our beginner cleanse and they love the soups. So they might come in and stock up on those and take them home and put them in their fridge or freezer. Or they might come in with a girlfriend for an avocado toast and a soup for lunch or an acai bowl for breakfast. Um, So, you know, really for me, it's the lifetime value of that customer and their total basket value versus um, that predictable revenue. Um, You know, we see people come in and out of the subscriptions. Um, Most of our customers will do a cleanse once a quarter. Um, And then we also have people that subscribe for a six pack of juices um, every week. And so they're not cleansing every week normally. Normally, these are people that are out of town. They come into Richmond once a week, maybe for work. um, And so they want to pick up their juices to have them, you know, for the next two or three days. Um, But most people are really incorporating juice in as part of their lifestyle. Um, You know, we still have a great deal of people that do 
cleansing in a traditional, like I'm only going to have juice for one, two or three days. Um, But most people are coming in and getting uh, various parts of our product throughout their week. It's much more of a lifestyle for them. And before you chime in, I just want to say you brought us uh, two fresh bottles of juice. One is guiltless. It has the fresh Pressed cucumber, pear, spinach, kale, parsley, Very ginger, refreshing. lemon. Yes. It really is. Um, yes. I just didn't bring the the stoli. And the other is glitzy, <laughs> which has the we'll fresh pressed. We'll ruin it somehow. <laughs> glitzy has fresh pressed apple, pear, and pineapple. It's uh, delightful. Go ahead. Yeah. So I want to talk cleanses for a minute. Okay. And I'm sure. going to come at it as somebody who tried a juice cleanse once. Okay. And I went. I I. I my goal. This is a while ago. Okay. Bef- before before I could buy yours, I did it myself, and I was you know in, in the Vitamix and right. doing the whole thing. Yeah. And, and do it, and I made it through the first day. Okay. And I kind of wanted to die, and uh-huh. then I made it through yeah. the second day, and I started feeling a little bit better. And then by the th- I, I tried to go three days, and then I made it through half of the third day, okay. and ate a hot dog, and like <laughs> had a complete utter meltdown. Like I could not. I'm like, how do people do that? No, but in, in all seriousness, I'm I'm curious from a health perspective because yeah. I know that um, there are a tremendous number of benefits to mm-hmm. this type of cleansing from clearing your head to obviously yeah. getting the toxins out of your body yeah. and that people are really interested in, in doing that more yes. often now I mean especially considering you know uh, the American you know westernized diet isn't right. always the healthiest you know yeah. and, and and just kind of want to reset so tell me a little bit about um, the cleanses and 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 sure. you know your thoughts on those and how you uh, how your clients like to use them yeah so our cleanses have evolved um, since when I first started the company. And to your point, you know, there's a ton of information out there about juice cleansing. The good, bad, and the ugly is out there. You know, there are people that have great experiences with it. There are people that have, um, you know, massive headaches while they're cleansing. There are people that don't last through the whole thing. I mean, (laughs) it kind of runs the gamut. Um, So the way that we've set up our cleanse is really cater to that. So we have a beginner, an intermediate, and an advanced. I saw that, yes. So if you haven't done a juice cleanse before, we incorporate Incorporate our blended soups as well, um, so you get a soup for lunch and dinner. So you are getting so you have um, something exactly right, yes. versus liquid, yeah. but you're still getting the benefits. You know, a lot of our clients cleanse for a couple of reasons. One, um, they want to give their digestive system a break. Two, they want to kick the sugar cravings. Um, you know, even though our juices have natural sugar from fruits, the fruits that go into the recipes, our bodies can process that kind of sugar. What our bodies can't process is the synthetic and the processed sugars. Um, um, and so for that purpose, it definitely, you know, will kick the sugar cravings. Um, people also do it as more of like a mental reset. We all think about food so much every day. You yeah. know, what am I going to eat? What am I going to have for lunch? What am I going to have for dinner? When am I going to go to the grocery store? Um, and a lot of our um, clients that, you know, are our recurring clients are people that have jobs where they can't always do that. So nurses or teachers or people that are always on the go or always on their feet. And so we even designed the soups to go in a bottle. So, um, you know, that way you can just drink it right out of the bottle. You can heat it up if you want, but if you're on the go, you can drink it. Um, That's without really even, smart, actually. Yeah, without even taking it out to heat it up. So that one is actually our most popular, um, the beginner cleanse. And our clients tell us that they feel more full throughout 
throughout the day because of the soups. Um, we put our cashew milk at the end, which is the one that's highest in natural protein. I was going to say the protein. So, mm-hmm, so that one keeps you a little more full through the night so that you're not waking up with hunger pains. Yeah, um, dreaming of food. Exactly. Right? We also advise clients to prepare their body for the cleanse. So if people come to us and they're like, oh, my gosh, we just had like a bender of a weekend. We partied all weekend. Like I want to juice cleanse on Monday. We always caution them against that because it's like, look, it's kind of like running a marathon without having trained. Um, so give your body two or three days to cut out processed foods, mm-hmm. cut out alcohol, cut out sugar, cut out caffeine, and then your body will have a much better reaction. Right. Um, so anyway, so the beginner is the most popular. The intermediate is a mix of sweet and green juices, and then the advanced is all green. So for somebody that already, you know, has a diet where they're not eating processed foods, um, you know, they're eating really healthily, but they just want that kind of additional kickstart, um, those are the clients that are doing the advanced At what point can you convince somebody to just chew on tree bark for $10? (laughs) No, I have to throw that in there. (laughs) Full disclosure, I'm Robin Farzad. You're listening to Aaron Powell, founder and owner of the rapidly expanding Ginger Juice here in the RVA. Uh, We're joined by Kendra Bailey Morris. She's now a content marketer in food and drink. Her byline has been everywhere on NPR and Better Homes, various culinary publications. I do want to get to Uh, The Rebecca Thomas Manifesto and Operations, because I often wonder about this when I pass by your store and see it's uh, such an overtime job to keep that counter Mm -hmm. happy. And and, and what happens if you're in the back and you're running something Mm -hmm. and somebody doesn't like their order? And meanwhile, you decide to expand to the far west to an ambitious development. Mm-hmm. I think it was Markel Eagle in front of the first Wegmans in That's Richmond. Yeah. When did you decide to do that or how were you persuaded? Or did at that point, did you have people come to you yes. and say, I'd like to make you an offer? Yes. Yes. Yeah, so um, – that is what happened. The latter, there were people that were saying, "Hey, let's expand this," um, and you know there were lots and lots and lots of thought and you know hundreds of hours that went into how do I expand? Do I stay in Richmond? Do I go to different markets? And you know, going back to my desire to franchise this brand, I wanted to make sure that the operations were fully fleshed out before I advised other people on how to do this and before I advised other people on how to do it specifically in different markets. So um, the Greengate development. What was so attractive about that? You know, if you look at the demographic, I learned a lot uh, being at the Village Shopping Center about who my customer is. And my customer is predominantly women. Um, It's predominantly people that are coming in to get kind of that in-between meal. Um, So even our avocado toast and our soup, you know, it's a perfect lunch. It's not too heavy. Um, And so I wanted to find different markets in Richmond that had a similar demographic. So when you look at age, gender, income, um, and number of households, short pump fits that bill and the south side fits that bill. Um, I also had learned a lot about running a suburban restaurant as opposed to an urban. Um, I looked at doing locations downtown in the fan, Church Hill. Um, and ultimately, there were just major, major differences in running a suburban location as opposed to an urban one. Um, not that I won't figure out an urban one eventually, but I figured let's just stick with suburban. Um, I loved the mission of Greengate and what they were doing with bringing on Local companies like The Daily and Carrytown Bikes um, and bringing on boutique fitness franchises. So we now have three boutique 
uh, fitness companies in that one development. So we have that's so far west. When I go there, Um, I get jet lag. Right. I don't even know if it's still 804 or something city. There's a different water tower. Is it technically Goochland? So no, it's technically Henrico, but we're close to Goochland. Is there a sewer line out there? Do you have a septic tank? I just always wonder. But what's funny? What's funny is you talk to people from 20 years ago. I remember when that Whole Foods was a farm. Yeah. I remember you couldn't go past Parham Road or anything, and now that sprawl is just. At some point, you're going to hit Charlottesville or St. Louis, right? We will. Yeah, we will. I'm, just I'm figuring, yeah, Charlottesville and, and Richmond are going to eventually connect. They'll merge. It's just going to kind of yeah. merge together. Well, and every time you go out there, there's a new hotel being built, a new car dealership, a new something or other. Was so there something explosive. to learn from the Starbucks experience? I often ask myself, I remember I was in um, early 90s. I remember uh, a classmate in high school brought in this uh, this mug from Starbucks, and she said, you've got to go to this coffee chain. It's mm-hmm. so hot and everything. And she, she's like, I just spent this much for a drink and drink. And I, I try to talk to myself in the 80s and 90s and imagine something that's now such a permanent fixture of mm-hmm. kind of co-working and going out and everything, and it's so mm-hmm. ubiquitous and it's so obvious that people will spend upward of $5 on a right. coffee drink. What did you learn from them or some of the failures in the business? Like, I was never convinced that Jamba Juice was a huge success. Right. Maybe they bit off more than they can chew. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I really think it goes back to two things. One is the quality of the product and two is the quality of the operation. And so, you know, that is the reason why I made the capital investment to get a cold press juicing machine. It's the reason why we don't put any ice in our smoothies or in our acai bowls. Um, you know, because I do think, Robin, to your point, you know, people will spend $5 on a coffee. They'll spend $9 on a bottle of juice. And, you know, Kendra, you're my favorite type of customer. Somebody who juices at home, you know how much of a labor of love it is and how much produce goes into being able to squeeze. And it's a mess. <laughs> it's, a it's an mess. absolute mess it's to absolute clean up. Mess. Yes. No question. Yes. Um, but yeah, I do. I don't see the, the juicing fad really going anywhere. I think that, um, you know, people will continue to invest in their health. And I, I actually only think that that's going to continue to grow as more, you you know, medical practices start incorporating um, holistic techniques into their practices. I really don't think that that's going to go anywhere. Um, you know, the second piece is operations. And this is actually why I decided to open the third store before franchising. Um, and it's because, Robin, you just alluded to this a second ago. When you're at my village store by the Starbucks, you do see my employee running from the front to the back. And sometimes when customers come in, there's no one there to greet them, which just is like nails down the chalkboard for me. Um, but it's because we make everything in the kitchen and then serve it up to the customer. And what I realized moving to that front store at the village and also at the Greengate store is that 90% of our orders ring up as to go. And even though we have these two big, beautiful spaces with lots of seating, um, only 10% of our people stay. And mm pop open their laptop or meet a friend or whatever the case may be. You just walked into my next question. That okay. was a big Wall Street Journal <laughs> piece on the opportunity and the peril for the explosion in delivery. You think yes. about Postmates, you think about you know Uber Eats, yes. everybody kind of jumping on this bandwagon. Many people kicking and screaming because Amazon is offering instant gratification mm-hmm. and everything. Are you being tugged into that direction? And can you clear a profit on delivering your juices? Yeah, for sure. So we have not done delivery. What I've launched is the mobile app. 
Um, and the other thing that I've launched in this third store is the first ever line style juice bar. So when you go into Jamba Juice, Tropical Smoothie, Smoothie King, um, you pay and you wait for your order to be made. It's the same at Chick-fil-A. It's the same as Wendy's. And the consumer has been accustomed to the fact that that wait time should be really short. And when we have 30 tickets on the line and we're making everything to order, people can wait. 17, 18, 20 minutes for a smoothie, which is ridiculous and does not make people happy. Mm -hmm. However, when you go to Cava or Chipotle, I actually was at the Cava on the south side the other day, and I timed the woman who came in at the door um, at the busy lunch rush, and it took her 17 minutes to get from the door to the register. Now, if someone waited 17 minutes for a smoothie at Ginger Juice, which has happened, there would be a bad Yelp review, which has also happened. However, there was no bad Yelp review for Kava. Everybody was calm. But look in your backyard because I frequent that Starbucks on the south uh side. They have a legit operations problem. They built a drive-through thing in there and it's blocked out their parking. The baristas are hugely frustrated that they can't do the frontline customers because they're being tugged on their headset for the drive-through. I don't think that they fully thought it through. We had Ron Sheikh of Panera on the show several months ago. I was like, how are you so prescient? To install drive-throughs or to know that that and the delivery business were were coming down the pike, and how could you take that for granted operationally? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think you know what what we've seen is just that. Speed really trumps everything. And at that same Starbucks, Robin, that you just mentioned, I witnessed a customer pull up to the drive-thru to request that her mobile order be handed to her through the drive-thru window. So, But the they whole... don't want you doing that. They don't <laughs> no. want you mixing. It's the same thing at Panera. You're not yeah. supposed to. Yeah. Yeah. But no, I think that, you know, as as a retail business, I, I am constantly faced with the problem of how do I get the product in my customers' hands as fast as humanly possible. And so, again, that's why I built this line style out on the south side. Um, we serviced um, 300 customers in the first four hours of being open on our first day. Wow. And we would not have been able to physically do that at the other two stores because of the operations and the way it was set up. But because at our new store, we are scooping acai bowls out and topping them in front of customers, and we're spreading avocado spread on toast and putting the vegetables in front of customers, we can get people in and out in 30 seconds, which cannot happen at my other two stores. Um, so that is the efficiency that you know I hope to just continue to hone in on. Um, I personally am not going to be doing the single delivery. Um, you know, Amazon called me last week and said, hey, we're getting into the restaurant delivery space. We want you to be one of our first adopters. And And, you know, I asked the sales rep, okay, how much are you um, charging for your delivery fee? And he said, well, we're going to give you 70% back on every order. And I said, I can't give you 30% margin. I'm a small business. Are you afraid, though, they're going to turn around and and snuff you out once they come to the fan and other places? If you say no, and a lot of restaurant people say this to me, I have to take the 30% margin hit. It's like paying – it's like, you know, in The Sopranos where they go around Jersey City and <laughs> right, you need protection right, money. Right, right. I don't think so for my product. Um, I mean, there may be for some, you know, you mentioned Ian was on the on the show a couple Ian weeks Kelly ago. Ian Kelly of Sugar Shack. Ian Kelly yeah. of Sugar Shack. And so he does um, use those delivery services. And, you know um, – 
But if you are getting a dozen donuts and you're splitting it between two or three people and you can each get a couple donuts, like it's kind of worth it for you to pay the delivery fee and the upcharge, um, you know, and have it at your door. But if you were to experience that through ginger juice, you'd end up paying $18 for a $9 acai bowl. And I actually think that that's going to hurt my consumer brand more than it would help it. Um, What I am more interested in building is an outpost delivery system. So this is something that Sweetgreen recently launched. This is something that Roots, which is also um, in our backyard, a local line style uh, grain bowl concept has launched. And so I envision that that would be a scenario where we would have outpost locations, um, hospitals, office parks, where they would pre-order and I would have a single delivery truck that would go and deliver dozens of orders at one time um, to a more populated segment of the community, as opposed to delivering onesie twosie type items. And do you do catering now? We do. Okay. Yes. Yes. So, so you actually have. I mean, is how is that going with the catering? I it's mean, been you're fantastic. finding that obviously people are wanting to order it in bulk. Like I personally can't imagine going. You know. I, w- I just want one juice. Just right. Somebody just right. deliver me one juice, yeah. you know. Yeah. And so, again, you'd be tra- having to charge your customers so much. It right. wouldn't make any sense. No. So um, so with your catering, like um, what, what kinds of clients are you working or who are you working with now primarily? Yeah. How lot, are they ordering? Yes, lots of different clients. So office parks, um, we've done a lot of bridal shows. So, um, you know, bridesmaid or brides that are getting our offering for their bridesmaids the day of the wedding when they're getting ready. Um, you know, we're getting Gift bags. Yes. Yeah gift bags. We're getting um, companies like um, Cigna. So they have wellness divisions. And so they are having us cater broker lunches, um, you know, things like that. So the way that that works is that we're bringing a build your own acai bowl bar. So we bring our pre-blended acai bowl base um, and the toppings. And then the guests at whatever event we're catering can just build their own. Um, And we're doing the same with the avocado toast bar. um, And then the same with the cold pressed juices and our energy bites. Um, so those have been really popular for different pop-up fitness events. Um, River Run Dental, who is one of our co-tenants out at Greengate, they did it for their grand opening event. So anybody in the space that's really looking for healthy food items, um, the genesis of our catering actually started with um, pharmaceutical and medical sales reps. They were coming in saying, look, our doctors are so sick of getting donuts and coffee and panera. I heard that and they love to get uh, chicken fiesta. I heard that that's the one that's most demanded. <laughs> I can imagine Don't that. Don't go yeah, bringing my Papa John's in here. My right. husband's a pharmaceutical right? Okay. let me tell you. And, yeah. he, he, and, and it is true about um, chicken they fiesta. They for chicken fiesta. I will fiesta. say it is, it is true about chicken By fiesta. By the way, chicken fiesta, you, you're not sponsoring this show, man. We're sending you a free plug. <laughs> but but he show. absolutely talks about it all the time, how um, you know these offices, you have offices full of 20, 30, you know, 40 yeah. people, and, and they're, they're, they don't need you know a big pasta meal for lunch anymore. Mm-hmm. They don't want it anymore. No. It's like you feel terrible. Yeah. And that you want something healthy and yeah. light, and, and people love build your own. They do. I am one of the yeah. I like to yeah. make it the way that Richmond I want to make Dermatology it. was our first client and yep. so they they love it. I should ask you, that you know, uh, have you ever thought about rebranding the Three Chop location? It's right by the University of Richmond. Maybe mm-hmm. call it Kappa Theta, Kappa Alpha Theta th- Uggs, <laughs> Juice. Instagram no, stories. No, I kid. I, kid. I do want to pivot to um, something that's very topical. Last year was the, the year, the tipping point wise, if Malcolm Gladwell ever decided to write a treatise on this, the plastic straw suddenly became mm. verboten. And now mm-hmm. everybody is talking Dost about plastic free. Yes. And how much pushback are you getting? Yes. Um, I understand that it's more costly. Walk us into waste in right. your business. Because then again, when you talk about 
136,000 pounds of produce last year. For example, was composting involved? Mm-hmm. Were you able to send some for fertilizing, for hog slop farms and the like? I am fascinated by that. Talk to me. Yeah. Yeah. So all of the above. I mean, obviously, every restaurant owner is concerned with shrink and waste and how to minimize that. Um, you know, one of the things I did with Rebecca when I redesigned my menu is everything has a cross-utilization purpose. So um, all of our smoothies and our bowls, they're actually the same ingredients. If you get it as a bowl, we just use less of our nut milk um, than we do if you get it as a smoothie. So that has um, allowed us to significantly cut down on waste because our inventory isn't that high to begin with. Um, with the cold-pressed juice, um, you know, that is a constant moving target to try and figure out how much to make so that we don't run out. Um, you know, we've implemented various inventory management tools to be able to help with that. So we have been able to get our waste down to about 5% on the cold-pressed juice. Um, we've also worked with shelf life. So I've adjusted some of my recipes to create a higher acidity count so that that way they can have an extra day or two of shelf life on them. So that has certainly helped. Um, we've worked with numerous different um, independent farms to come and collect our compost. Um, that is always a constant struggle um, because we juice so much and we have so much compost every day. We really need somebody who can come and get that mm-hmm. on a daily basis um, because it attracts insects and fruit flies and you know yeah. all kinds of things that but we don't want in the restaurant. But what about the plastic specifically? Everybody's talking about plastics right now. Yeah. So, you know, we have not jumped on the glass juice bottle train um, for various reasons. One is cost. Um, two is sanitation. So I don't physically have the space to be able to sanitize bottles that are returned to me. So instead, we've gone with a uh, BPA number two recycle plastic. Um, we offer recycling at all three of our locations. So, um, you know, that way customers can at least feel good that their um, their bottle is getting recycled. Um, we have not done the paper straws Um it just isn't something that we've seen a huge demand for. Um, in fact, there was a customer in my Greengate location the other day that whispered to me, Aaron, thank you for not having a paper straw. It disintegrates when you're drinking the smoothie. She's like, I actually appreciate that you still have a plastic straw. So um, anyway, we have not hopped on that train for the straws as of yet. Uh, we do use wooden spoons, so they're compostable um, for our acai bowls. So we have kind of hopped on that train. I have mixed feelings about the paper straws. I, I get their purpose, and it's yeah. a very good purpose. Sure. But I, I wish there would be one that doesn't disintegrate. Right, right. <laughs> because it's true. Yes. Matter, and and it, it kind of sticks on your lips. And yes. it's, it's, this is a funny thing, especially if your girl wearing lipstick. It's right. A paper, it doesn't you know, work. So it, it's tricky. Yes. It's a tricky you well, know, the bigger thing question to navigate. Is when it becomes taboo to just have single-use plastics across the board. You're sensing right. that this is a tip of the iceberg moment. So yeah. many different covers about uh, ocean plastics and closing the mm-hmm. loop and, and whatnot. And I'm wondering if you're feeling that at the customer level, if people are prodding you about it. I mean, you know, you go to the Elwood's Juice Bar, they'll offer metal straws you can mm-hmm. buy for a dollar or and other many places. restaurants in Richmond now. Are, many restaurants yeah. just don't offer the straws. Mm-hmm. But yours, mm-hmm. is a, yours is an operations issue. It's a... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a sanitary issue. I don't mm-hmm. I don't kind of envy those considerations. Right. Yeah. I mean, it is not the number one concern that I'm hearing from my customers. Um, you know, like I alluded to earlier, the number one concern I'm hearing is speed. Um, how do you get this product in my hand faster? Now, what about labor costs? People mm-hmm. have been complaining that it's just hard to find and retain anyone, mm-hmm. that there's definitely inflation in food service. Mm-hmm. It's a real thing for sure. It always has been. Um, you know, I think that 
For me, the leg up that I have when it comes to recruiting is that, again, Ginger Juice is a lifestyle business. So the people that want to work for us are people that believe in this lifestyle. Um, you know, they don't want to work in a kitchen where they're serving products that they don't believe in or they're adding, um, you know, grease or stabilizers or processors um, to the product. So that's really you know, been where we've been able to get a leg up on hiring is hiring people that really have a true passion for um, a healthy lifestyle. But no, I mean, Robin, it is certainly the hardest thing. Um, we hired 86 people last year and it re I required 25 to run the business. So we had about 230% turnover. Oh my. Um, so yeah, it is the hardest part. And not all of that. I mean, I let four people go. So, you know, most of that was somebody finding another job or, um, you know, just people being transient. Like we have lots of seasonal employees. So, you know, we have employees that go to school full time at William and Mary, but they come back because they're from Richmond. And so they work for us for spring break and Christmas break and summer break. Um, but four years into this, correct me if I'm mistaken, I still see you in your store on Sundays. I am there. Rolling up your sleeves. Yep. Just about every day. Yeah. And you're, you're not doing that kind of out of disgust. Like why didn't I deputize this to someone already? No, no. I mean, there's there's only so much that you can learn if you're not there. Um, and my business is still just changing so rapidly and evolving so rapidly that I just feel really strongly that I've got to be there. Um, and I have to be there to hear my customers' feedback, my employees' feedback. Um, you know, a lot of the best ideas have come from just being there and being like, what if I put this piece of equipment here? Is that going to make us more efficient? Um, and so, yeah, I think that you've got to be there. Got to be present. What are some of the ideas people have flung at you in terms of, I mean, the obverse of what Rebecca Thomas suggested? Uh, now that you've simplified and and optimized certain operations to scale, mm -hmm. are there certain things you can add on kind of at the counter? I mean, you know, the health warrior people, you should sell our chia bars. Mm -hmm. Or another person is, you should sell this or moon cheese. Right. Where do you kind of resist the urge to, to do too much too soon? Yeah, gosh, the, those questions never end, you know, whether it be from customers that are like, hey, you should do wheatgrass shots or, you know, the retailers that are saying, hey, come and sell my bars, um, you know, but again. To say nothing I, of CBD, right? Right. Oh, gosh, oh. yes. They're, they're, all of those questions come in the door daily, too. Um, but no, I mean, having the, the three stores, it does allow me to test some of those items. Um, we had, you know, I send out surveys periodically to my customers to see what kind of items they want. And we put them on the shelves and test them and see how they do. Um, but it's pretty clear that people come to Ginger Juice for juice and healthy food. And they don't come for kombucha. We've tested that. They don't come for coffee. You know, we've tested that. They don't come for sandwiches and wraps. We've tested that. They don't come for salads. We've tested that. They don't come for wheatgrass shots. We've tested that. So, you know, I think it's all about just kind of figuring out. Um, I think as consumers, we all say we want things, but unless we're voting with our dollars that we want those things, we really may not want them. Or we can get them somewhere else. Um, you know, we put kombucha on the shelf. It didn't sell. But that's because you can get kombucha everywhere. Yeah. Um, you know, you can't get ginger juice everywhere. And people ask, you know, why is your juice so good? And I'm like, because we've pressed it yesterday. You know, this wasn't a bottle that went on a shelf that was made 45 days ago. Um, so anyway, I guess to, to answer your point, you know, you just test and learn with, the, with those kinds of things. And if there's something that hits and our customers want it, we keep it on the menu.
And what I like about your menu is that it is so approachable. Mm-hmm. It's not, there's not, there's not a, you know, you can kind of walk in there and go, okay, there's, you know, basically three types of things that you can get here, yes. like you said, yes. the sandwiches, the bowls, and the juice. Yes. And there's a few on each. And so yep. a lot of times, you know, you, you walk, you know, you go into certain restaurants and you have a, you know, 20 page menu and there's too many things to choose from. Yes. It's like, this is very manageable. Yes. And, and it's all, I mean, it all sounds really great, you know. So it's like I just get some avocado toast, nice, simple. And again, what you were talking about, um, the type of people that come to your store and want your products are people that are already most likely eating that way or wanting to, you know, live a healthier lifestyle. It's a huge, 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 massive movement and trend in food right now is is eating clean. Um, And so you come in and you have a clean menu (laughs) offering, you know, fresh, good food and, you know. The transparency is huge. Um, the yeah. transparency in the menu, so important. and you know, being able to say—I mean, I can't even tell you how many people come in. We actually get this question more than we get the organic question. Um, so less likely, we're less likely to get the organic question, but more likely to get: Are your ingredients fresh? Did you make them today? Do you add any pasteurizers or stabilizers? Do you add any sugars? Um, you know, so that seems to be what's most important to our consumers. How do you resist the urge to mash up with the ABC liquor store next door and do kind of? <laughs> <laughs> NC-17 night. I mean, right? you got a university. You know, I'm not kidding. You walk into the CVS and you go back to the beer section, they actually sell ping pong balls. It's like, what's up with that, CVS Health? Yeah. Does my anthem plan cover that? Yes, yes. In the five minutes or so we have left, tell us about your plans. Are you going to take equity investors? You talked about franchising. What's next? Yeah, so franchising is next. So we've started the FDD process, um, and we're starting to gain a lot of interest um, from both the local Richmond community and outside. What I have found most successful is building the juice bar right next to college campuses. Um, It's really, really, really refreshing to see people at younger and younger ages being concerned with their health. When I was in college, I was not eating dollar acai bowls. Kappa Alpha Theta. Right. But they are. But they are. And it's so exciting. And they're a big, huge part of our consumer. Um, So that is the plan, is to franchise on and around college campuses um, throughout the country. And so um, yes, the next step You're really step ready would, to go national. I am ready. This. Yep. The next step would be to take on an equity investor that could help get me to that level. So someone that has experience franchising, um, you know, someone that has the um, resources that I need. I don't have an HR department currently. I don't have a robust marketing It's department. funny. You come from an HR background, kind right? of, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I've done what I can do You got do a real world MBA in, in kind of building this from scratch. And I'm so thankful for that. I mean, everything that I learned from Sean Boyer and Snag a Job, I mean, that experience is just irreplaceable when it comes to starting your own business. I got to tell you, and I'm going to wax a little hokey here. It's one of the big reasons why I like living here is that we yes. we we look each other in the whites of the eye. We take care of of, of one another. I mean, my yes. radio show is a startup. You guys did this sight unseen as other people did in the past. And mm-hmm. you call people and they first are like, OK, why? In New York, and I was just back there. I love the place. I lived there for a decade. People have been inured out of making that contact, out of knowing the story, out Mm -hmm. of – I was curious when we first met. It's like who the heck would take over that janitor's closet in the back? Right, right. And then 
I'm reminded of this several weeks, you know, a week ago at the junior NBA finale with our sons playing, and <laughs> your your boy Sayer had such a gorgeous pompadour of, of red hair. He did. Like, you got him to yes. drink the vegetables and yes. then some. And yes. for everybody to know one another on that level, I think, is one of the great blessings of it's the amazing. RVA. And, and it's it, Richmond. It is, yeah. And, you know, that was it for me. I mean, when I lost my husband, I lost my family. And what I really wanted to do was recreate that sense of community here in Richmond um, for myself and, you know, feel like, okay, I have a family, um, you know, even though it's not my marital family or my blood family. And I really feel that. And that is what inspires me so much to franchise is because I want to create that family around ginger juice. Um, you know, it's a product that I believe in, but more so than that, I believe that people can be small business owners and it does not have to be so hard. It does not have to be as hard as it was for me. It does not have to be 80% fail rates for starting a business. And, you know, this country is built on the backbone of small business and small businesses are built on the backbone of stories. Um, You know, people buying into my story, people believing in what I'm doing. And, you know, my best friend who I mentioned that had the juice company in Seattle, when I told her I was going to name the company Ginger Juice after my son's red hair, she said, Aaron, don't do that. Nobody cares about you and your son. And I disagreed with her. And I was like, people will they'll remember the story. They'll remember the fact that, no, we don't juice redheads. Like, no, ginger is not in every ingredient. But that's part of the story, and that's part of what created it. And that's part of why RVA is so amazing. Aaron Powell, founder and owner of Ginger Juice, uh, we cannot thank you enough. Likewise. Thank you for having me. We were joined here by Kendra Bailey Morris, the uh, author of the book, The Southern Slow Cooker. And you've seen her byline everywhere. She's now a content marketer in the RVA Dine. I cannot thank you both enough. Thank you. Full disclosure, our engineer is John Valentine. Enjoy this show on WCVE 88.9 News, on NPR.org and the NPR One app. And on iTunes at FullDRadio.com. We use natural, often locally sourced content to deliver only the finest cold-pressed MP3 files to your radio and smartphone. I'm Robin Farzad, back with you next week.